Hey there, everyone, and welcome into the pickle jar. I'm so excited to bring you my new friend, Sarah from Philadelphia. She is coming into the pickle jar today to share with us her absolutely incredible story. And it's not only a story about having Addison's disease. It's a story about, you know, she's, she was diagnosed as a type one diabetic at a very early age. And she also very similar to me. She, her father also had Addison's disease and he was also a diabetic. So she's going to share with us. She's extremely knowledgeable. And this is just going to be a very, very powerful and very motivational, inspirational episode. And I thank you so much for joining me for listening. And Sarah, thank you so much for joining me and giving me your time here to share with us your story, um, your your entire life. You're going to share with us pretty much your entire life. So thank you so much for coming and sharing with us today. Well, I'm excited to be here. Um, so thank you so much for having me. Hello, Pickles. Um, <laughs> I um, should say first and foremost, two things maybe. The first is it is entirely possible that I am over-medicated on my steroid smart right now. So I may be a little manic. That's my okay. We all, we all get that. We all get it, that. understand that little energy. It's a thing. <laughs> Nobody explained it to me until after my first crisis, when they sent me home with a tapering dose of prednisone, that was 10 times what I would normally have been on because they thought they should treat me like a kid being released after an allergy attack. And in tears in the pharmacy line at drive through <laughs> the pharmacist was like, do you, do you know what this can do to you? <laughs> so then I learned about the magical temporary bipolarness that can happen with too much steroid on board. Nice. Um, and uh, Jill and I both tend to really geek out on some of the sciencey stuff. So stick with us um, and somebody throw something at one of us if it gets too out of hand, but we will, we will bring it back to real people language, but it's kind of exciting. Some of the things that we're putting together and connecting right now. So no, exactly. And one, one thing I, and I completely get what you say about, you know, the ups and downs. I remember the first time I had IV steroids and my family doctor said to me, he goes, and what did you do after you went home? I'm like, I went home and I cleaned the house at like two o'clock in the morning. And I was like, <laughs> You know, and I actually had a dog that had to go on prednisone, a high dose. And and I remember explaining to him in, in the night, trying to explain to explain to the dog how he was going to feel when he was going to go through the, <laughs> what he was going to experience. <laughs> so, um, but yes, um, like I mentioned, Sarah is very knowledge, knowledgeable. And as you know, neither of us are medical professionals, but we have, you know, a lot of experience and we just hope that, you know, this episode and all the episodes that we bring you here in the pickle jar can just help open up conversations for you. And I can tell you just from, you know, meeting Sarah and the conversations I've had with her has been, you know, inspirational for me on kind of the progress I'm going to make with my illness and with my life and any obstacles that I'm going to come, come across and that I am coming across. Um, it's just, there's so many parallels in the things that we experience that we need this information so that we, we are strong when we go to see our medical team and our medical community. So um, I'm going to have Sarah start today um, by just giving us a little bit of a, a picture about who she is and kind of, you know, what she lives with every day. So Sarah, why don't you start with that for us? Okay. Well, um, I don't know. I still, I do my best to not have my conditions be who I am, but um, they're a big part of them in the last five to six months. So we will jump in there. Um, but I was diagnosed as a type one diabetic when I was three and a half. 
in the olden, olden days before blood testing was available or A1Cs were a thing or lots of the technology that we have available to us right now. Um, so that was kind of an adventure. Um, and my dad is the one who figured out that that was what was happening um, because he was also a type one diabetic with Addison's disease, um, as Jill talked about. So he had kind of seen the signs developing through the course of a couple of weeks and started putting the pieces together and then just testing my blood sugar, urine sugar at home as best they could um, before then like making the drive to, to get me diagnosed. So thankfully I was not diagnosed as traumatically as a lot of diabetics are. Um, I wasn't in ketoacidosis at the time, thank goodness. Um, but, um, and then I kind of had a, a role model to look at as far as it didn't seem like that dramatic of a shift in our house. And maybe my mom will disagree with me. I have been peppering her with diabetic question of the day for the last five or six months, <laughs> but um, I think that it was probably an easier transition for me, A, because I was so young. I had not lived a whole life in one manner and then had to change on a dime overnight. Um, and because it was just kind of how things worked in our house. Um, you know, we didn't have a lot of sugar around anyway. It wasn't like I was snacking on juice boxes and M&Ms and whatever else was around. Um, just because it wasn't really there in the house, juice more often than not was an option for my dad to treat a low blood sugar. It wasn't seen like a treat or like a regular drink. Um, so I think for me, I'm always people are like, oh, it's so sad. You were so young, but I'm always really kind of grateful that this has been the life I've known because I think it would have been so much more difficult for me for everything to change suddenly. Um, so that was that. Um, at some point I was probably eight, nine, 10. Um, I was diagnosed with thyroid hypothyroidism. Um, so not enough thyroid at all. Um, and recently someone finally bothered to put Hashimoto's thyroiditis name on it um, because I do have the antibodies um, for that as well. And then um, quite some time passed before the Addison's developed. Although while I was seeing my endocrinologist as a child, um, there was, this is when I was living in Denver until two years ago, well, in Colorado, but in Denver until two years ago. Um, there was an endo upstairs from the diabetic clinic that specialized in Addison's and adrenal insufficiency. And all I knew is that every time I would get blood drawn, they would do one extra tube to send up to George. Um, <laughs> and he was keeping an eye on something. Um, and it was, it was kind of translated to me that it was always a when and not an if that I would develop Addison's. Um, so they told me what to keep an eye out for, which was only hyperpigmentation, <laughs> which never happened. Um, so That's that hard. was pretty frustrating. Um, but uh, I recently have found a lot of George's papers um, and I've been kind of trying to figure out what exactly it was that he saw that kind of greenlit, like if it was actually a for sure when and not if, or if it was just like, you are likely to develop this. Um, in either case, I was in onset of Addison's for probably 18 to 24 months. Um, had no idea 
what was going on. Everyone just kept telling me I must be pregnant because I was narcoleptic levels of tired, falling asleep on my 12 minute commute to work, um, super dizzy all the time and pulling over to vomit on the way to work three or four mornings a week. Um, and it just something that I kind of built a little extra time into my schedule. It was this very funny balance that I'm sure a lot of you can relate to of sleeping as long as I possibly could <laughs> because so tired and giving myself just enough time to get mostly ready and then getting out the door with enough time to be able to pull over and throw up um, or potentially fall asleep. I couldn't, I knew I couldn't risk that. I still right now People will be like, oh, just take a power nap. And I'm like, I don't think you understand. My naps are like four hours long um, and no less than that. I mean, it really doesn't happen any <laughs> to an any small, any lesser degree. Um, so you just kind of, I don't know, I just kind of trudged through a year and a half or two years like that until one morning, I think I'd thrown up twice on the way to work um, and was so dizzy that I could barely function, but for whatever reason, probably because Jill and I were just talking amongst ourselves that when our cortisol is low, we tend to kind of gaslight ourselves and be like, oh, it's not that bad, or I can do this. So I then drove myself to urgent care from work um, where they discovered that my blood pressure was 66 on top and they could not find the bottom number. Um, and again, it's just that question that probably all of us have gotten at some point or another of like, how are you functioning? It's like, well, you just do, right? Like, I don't really have a choice. If I don't go to work, I don't have a job. I can't pay the, like, I can't adult, right? <laughs> um, so then I called my endo and said, uh, here is what is going on. And he said, oh, it's Addison's. Why don't you drive 45 minutes to my office? So I think I got one or two bags of fluids at the urgent care. And then, I mean, maybe they could find a bottom number by the time they released me to drive a vehicle that far. Probably not anybody's best bet, but it's always kind of funny to me because at that point when Endo confirmed that my blood pressure was still freakishly low, um, he ran upstairs to his office to bring me a bag of potato chips. And whose doctor has ever given them potato chips? So, so this was Endo George. This was George. No, this this is not George. This George, not George, I think <laughs> passed away. Like George okay. passed away a couple of years before I was diagnosed. It would have been immensely helpful if he was still around. Right. A lot so, of the things that I have learned in the last six months, George I would probably have would have learned much sooner. <laughs> so, so basically, I understand it. So you had the they were, you know, your care for your type one diabetes, and then George was just he he's keeping track of you because they figured right. this is going to develop. So he was keeping. He was he was you. purely in research, right, on okay. the second floor of this building. So he did not see patients. I don't think right. I ever even met him. Maybe once. Um, but he did not face to face with patients. I think he was strictly in research. Okay. Um, and as we know, especially this would have been in the nineties and two thousands. I mean, research into Addison's is rare now. I can't imagine that he had a lot of help. So he was probably flying solo on pretty much everything he was yeah. doing. And I don't know what else he may have studied. Um, but that I know specifically was something that he really focused on. So it was like this, this weird gold mine when 
a type one patient came in with a dad who had had Addison's and type one as well. Yes. No, completely. Like that's a very unique and rare special opportunity for him to take, take advantage. Yeah. Of, right. So, um, so how long ago, so how long have you been diagnosed with the Addison's officially? At, the Addison's diagnosis was in 2011. 2011. Yep. Um, and you were about 30. I think we figured I was 34. 34. Yeah. That. Okay. Um, so once you were officially diagnosed and they, <laughs> I mean, looking, looking back, same thing, like all those symptoms that you were having and it, it just seems mind blowing to me that the endo had you drive yourself. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, even, even just with a blood pressure that low, like well, that's I had a- no business being on the road. <laughs> oh, no. Hi. Yeah. You have a very serious life-threatening condition now. Can you just drive yourself to the office? And most people are diagnosed in crisis. And, and we figured out shortly thereafter, I'd been in what I've been referring to as a muted crisis. So my thyroid was so under medicated at that point that my TSH, my thyroid stimulating hormone, the top level of normal for TSH is at a four. And it was at 68. Wow. Like negative thyroid was happening. And it has such a metabolic effect that the best we can figure out, it really, like I was probably, I would have been in actual crisis much sooner had it not been for that. Right. Um, Because, I mean, it's all of those symptoms. Like now I know, because now I don't throw up just once. Like- we were talking and and sometimes I'll feel really nauseated and and my boyfriend will be like, just get it out of your system. And I'm like, no, no, you don't understand. <laughs> my experience is if I throw up, I don't stop until there's ivory, Zofran and steroids on board. And that does not happen here at home. Um, and it does not happen in a matter of a few minutes. So um, I know now if I'm that dizzy or especially if I actually vomit, like crisis is happening. Um, but at that point I didn't really know what I should be looking for, except for the palm, the lines in the palms of my hand to look like I'd given myself a self tanner, like <laughs> still the same shade of pale, like never changed. <laughs> so. so basically from your perspective, you, it sounds like you weren't really aware that this was the Addison's coming on that this no was- idea. No idea, because the only symptom they told me to look out for was the hyperpigmentation. And the unfortunate thing at this stage of your life, your dad had already passed away. So you didn't right. even have, you know, any advice or guidance that he could possibly give you in this right. situation yeah. that that wasn't there. It wasn't as if dad could say, hey, you know what? I think this might be a sign of kind of what I went through or yeah. like this. It's time to look into this. You you didn't have that support anymore. Well, and, and because he died when I was 18. I, I mean, being a self-involved teenager up to that point, um, like had never really talked to him about diabetes or Addison's. I mean, Addison's, I don't know that I would have really, because I didn't, I think it wasn't clear to me at that point that it was probably in my deck of cards too. Um, I didn't really understand autoimmune condition clusters or autoimmune poly, what is the poly something? I don't know. There's a name for having all three. Um, usually I just get like raised eyebrows and like, Oh, you've got the endocrine, endocrine trifecta. Um, 
it's like, oh, great. I'm glad I'm so fascinating. Can you please help me? Um, <laughs> so um, had I ever talked to him about any of that, I probably would have had a better idea that that's what it was like. Um, and because he was, he passed in 96. So most, like, I don't have any memories of, I know you said in a recent episode that you remembered your dad crying before like surgical procedures. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I know he had his gallbladder out while I was alive, um, and probably 10 or 11. I don't remember him having that anxiety or that sense leading up into it, but I was probably also just largely unaware. The other thing is, is that because diabetes was so much more difficult to keep track of at that time, the really visible symptoms of any condition that he had, and obviously the one that we shared was going to stand out more to me, is that he, his blood sugar would bottom out, um, get really low, and he would go into seizures fairly free. I mean, probably 10 to 15 times a year. Um, so, I mean, a lot. And that's so hard on your body. Um, and knowing what I have learned now, that was probably also mostly Addison's related low blood sugars, which we will get into at some point. Um, but um, a see like seeing your dad have a seizure really stands out. I don't know that I ever really would have noticed some of the more subtle signs of being low, low cortisol because he also was probably really good at at shielding them. Um, he may have been really good at maintaining it. I just, I kind of doubt it, not because he wasn't great, but I think just nobody knew enough about it at the time to really help coach people through this is what to do when your cortisol is low, or this is what to do when you are sick or I mean, and there was no Facebook, there was no online community. He was probably the only person he'd ever known with Addison's until, until Facebook and Instagram. Like I didn't know anybody else with Addison's except for him, but not anybody else with Addison's while I've had Addison's. Yeah. Um, so, but, but you're right. My memory of my dad being emotional before, pre and that was later on with mm -hmm. Addison's too. And I think that's when you know, perhaps maybe your dad's, for the most part, maybe your dad's cortisol levels were stable. I think it was when my dad's cortisol levels really got unstable. Right. Like you said like at that point to your life, you know, similar to me when I was a kid, you know, it was just, it was normal, <laughs> you know, dad, yeah. was, your dad's a type one diabetic. He's got Addison's. Okay. This is what we yeah. do. Yeah. And, you know, and this is, this is just part of our life and our existence. Yeah, this like is just said, how it works. And the, <laughs> the type one diabetes always overshadowed the, the Addison's, right? Like there just yeah. wasn't the knowledge and, and everything to go behind it. So, well, um, and when things get, I mean, I guess like he never went into actual crisis while I was alive. Um, I mean, he was a trial attorney. I'm sure that there are plenty of times where he was stress, um, but he figured out how to make it work or just trudge through it. It's entirely possible. I got that just like, just, just slog through the day, <laughs> however you can <laughs> from him. Um, but the signs of, of low cortisol for him were so much less noticeable than a low blood sugar, because I mean, that's, it's real obvious at that point, what's happening. 
And like you said, you've learned how much those two kind of correlate together as well, right? Yes. So everybody come back <laughs> for a small science lesson, but I did not know, despite seeing what is supposed to be like a premier endocrinology office, type one office, whatnot, for most of the 42 years I've been a type one diabetic um, and the 12 years that I've had Addison's. No one ever told me about the relationship between cortisol and insulin um, and cortisol and glucose. So um, for any of us, when your body experiences stress, we know that in theory, our adrenal should be signaling cortisol to get released. That all goes way back to fight or flight reflexes in the caveman days. I don't know before that um, to tell our livers to release stored glucose into our bloodstream for literal energy to fight or flight. Um, so when your cortisol is low, your blood sugars will bottom out because your liver isn't getting the green light to release that glucose. Or even as I experienced last night, sometimes your blood sugar gets low and it won't come back up no matter how much juice you're drinking, how many honey sticks I had, whatever it may be, even to the point of if I've needed a glucagon emergency injection for my diabetes, um, the glucagon will not work until or unless I've had an emergency steroid injection first. Mm -hmm. So if it gets to the point where I have to have glucagon, then the steroid injection has to come first. Um, a little side project of mine is to talk with a new friend who has some people who make an auto injector for glucagon to be like, please, can you just like do a small little thing for those of us with Addison's and do an auto injector? Because when my blood sugar is that low, especially, I do not have the coordination to mix things and draw a vial and draw a syringe. It's just, it's not happening. Um, but if you don't have even so last night, three, four in the morning, I had a low blood sugar that just would not come up. Um, and sometimes it takes me a minute to realize that it's a low cortisol, low blood sugar, not just a too much insulin, low blood sugar. Um, so the third set of alarms from my CGM, I finally was like, okay, I've got to go like grab some steroid. Um, and at that point, like then it will skyrocket. So sometimes you hear about steroid induced diabetes. Um, it's all because of this relationship between cortisol and the release and or processing of sugar into your blood. So um, I just, I think that's so important because I see a lot of people posting in Addison's groups about like, hey, is there anybody who feels really shaky but it's not necessarily like a different, like it feels a different shaky than low cortisol shaky, or like I can't eat enough sugar when this is happening. Your blood sugar is probably low. Um, so especially if you find that that is happening to you a lot, grab a, a meter and some above a bottle of test strips from your local pharmacy. You don't need a, a prescription for either. Um, prescriptions can help with insurance, but I know sometimes it gets funky with without a diabetes diagnosis, type one or type two. Um, but I mean, it'll maybe be 30 bucks out of pocket. Um, but when you see that happening, it can be really helpful information for you to be like, oh, my blood sugar is low. 
I don't also have to manage my insulin like Sandra does. So my body should be on track with this, this balancing act and it's not. So this is a cortisol issue. Um, but it can, it can be really helpful for you in that scenario to know that's what's happening. Um, and nobody ever explained that to me. I mean, there's, there's a time in April of 21 where I lost somewhere between 18 and 22 hours drifting in and out of catastrophically low blood sugars. Don't know how I am still alive. Um, because it was like, no matter how much juice I was having, nothing would work. And then I would kind of fade back out of consciousness again, um, probably had some seizures. Yes. Um, don't know. But if I had just known to take my darn steroid injection. Right. And then been saved all of that. So <laughs> that's one thing I've learned so much from our guests lately is, you know, there's so many things in my past, you know, just having, you know, dealing with the adrenal insufficiency is, you know, I always thought everything was low cortisol, low cortisol, low cortisol. And now I'm realizing, you know, there's so much with this, you know, it might be, I mean, I always knew it might be the electrolytes and this and that, but I didn't, I think I put too much of the weight onto the cortisol side of it. And that's one thing I'm, I'm going to take away from meeting you and talking to you is, is I have a blood sugar monitor and I've used it before in the past, but I'm going to use it a little bit more religiously now. And, and it's like anything that if you can track things and document things and take that to your doctor, if you start to see a trend, you're not going to hurt yourself by taking your blood sugar. You're just gathering information. And it's yep. just, and that's one thing I love about talking to you is you can just hear the power in your voice of these little, these things that you do to, to help yourself. There's so many things that we can do to help ourselves. Mm -hmm. And when you do them, you can live full, active, healthy lives, right? Yeah. Well, and I just, I'm so passionate about it because if I have anything to contribute, nobody else will have to go 42 or 12 years without knowing it. Nobody else will have to go like learn it the hard way. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing that's really helpful with using your own monitor um, is that it gives you enough data at some point or another to take to your doctor for them to be able to use to argue to prescribe you if you want a continuous glucose monitor. Um, most of the time, it's going to be really difficult to get without um, a diabetes like uh diagnosis that darn word yes thank you <laughs> my brain <laughs> um but without that diagnosis in your chart it'll be tricky with with insurance but if you can show enough data to be like listen this this is a sign of oncoming crisis for me this right here like Every time it's a low blood sugar, I'm in the 50s, I'm in the 40s, I'm in the 30s. This is what's happening consistently, consistently, consistently. And if you paid any attention to the timing of that low, should have been my first sign that it was a cortisol issue because three, four in the morning is when we tend to run the lowest. But especially if you're hitting those in the times when cortisol might be low naturally, yeah. Um, then it can give you a lot of ground to advocate and to basically give your doctors the language to then advocate on your behalf with insurance for a prior authorization. Um, because I've, I've been seeing a lot more Addisonians getting CGMs because it will give you an alert when your blood sugar is dropping below whatever higher number you tell it to. 
Um, and then always it's like the loudest, most obnoxious thing to wake up to. But when you are at 55 mm-hmm. or below, let's see, Canadian, I'm going to do some math. <laughs> um, but I think you're right. Even if there's those roadblocks with the insurances and getting things like that covered, this is where we have to have that strong voice together. Yep. Where it's, you know, it's all of us going saying we need this and eventually things are going to change. And if we don't yeah. ask and nag and nag and nag and keep asking, nothing's going to happen. Right. We, yeah. we need to have that voice together. We need to yeah. hear the no's before we get the yeses. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and if you go in armed with the language that your doctor can yeah. literally copy and paste from a portal message into the prior authorization or to, to help them feel comfortable enough with it that they can do in the U S at least, I know that there's a, a peer to peer like your doctor can talk to a doctor at the insurance company and say, listen, very specifically, this is why Jill needs a Dexcom. This right here. Um, and to me, it always seems like it should not be as difficult as it is because when we wind up in the ICU in crisis, it costs them much more <laughs> than covering three Dexcoms a month. <laughs> but um, but it's just... Communicating that to them that yeah. it is a legit, it's a legitimate cost expense, right? Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I've always said I think the unfortunate thing with an insurance is they've been taken advantage so much that they have strict regulations. They want to make sure if they're putting their money out, they're putting it out for a reason because it adds up over you know millions of people. So you're so much um, less cynical than I am, Jill. That's so nice, <laughs> oh, right? So, um, right. So they want to you know, yeah, but no, that's definitely something I'm looking into. So, um, so what else can you share with us about the body and your body? Cause your body is obviously very unique. <laughs> you know, our um, bodies are working in that dance between hormones, but you have that, that, that extra dance that's going on. And, um, so yeah, tell us a little bit more of, about your journey since you were diagnosed with Addison's. Um, well, I guess that uh, I will do a quick segue into, um, in the last six months, I've done a lot of deep dives into, I mean, there's probably 80 scientific journal articles open on my phone right now. Um, most of which I have at least skimmed through and then opened up new articles from the the citations and the footnotes or whatever it may be. Um, but since then I, uh, have figured out that I have an allergy to an additive they put into every single injectable insulin. So um, that's part of the reason why I think that I'm trending towards over-medicated on my steroids right now is because when I figured that out and wasn't battling to make my body work the way I thought it was supposed to, it's not actually anything wrong with my body. Um, It's this darn additive. Um, So figured out how to work through that with minimal, 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 like kind of daily background insulin, a lot like uh, Jill uses her cortisol pump for. So I have that background insulin on board just to be there in the background to keep blood sugars in check, kind of without any food or activity, like this is where they should be. Um, And then to deal with blood sugar corrections or for when I eat, um, there's an inhalable insulin that is does not have any additives in it. 
um, which I'm actually, the reason I brought this up is I'm going to need to take it in a second. <laughs> um, but um, my, since figuring that out, my A1C has dropped astronomically. Um, and my body is so much less at stress with itself. Um, between that and then finally getting myself onto T3 medication, so the active or the usable form of thyroid meds, my doctors had just been throwing higher and higher doses of, of T4 meds at me um, up to the point where I was on the biggest dosage of pill that they make at 200 micrograms and then plus another 100 micrograms <laughs> and still having all of these hypothyroid symptoms um, because my liver couldn't convert the T4 into T3, probably because it was trying to detox <laughs> all of this allergen from the insulin. Um, so now that insulin is on way better track, blood sugars are finally in check for literally the first time in my life. Um, and thyroid meds are on track. I think that probably my one milligram of dexamethasone a day is too much for me. Um, because your, body, your body's not under stress. You use the word. My body's not under that constant barrage of stress. <laughs> that, that war zone that your body was yeah. doing in your body, you know, to take, to take care of yourself has, has quieted. So yeah. you, it's, it's positively, you know, affected your Addison's disease by, you know, decreasing your cortisol demand on your body. Yeah. Which is, I mean, it seems wild to me, but I've also learned just in talking to some some people online that one milligram is more than the kind of the biologic replacement that's recommended for most people with Addison's, but it's kind of the standard. Like if they put you on decks, they just throw one at you. Um, same as throwing 0.1 Fludro at you daily. Um, yeah. I think that probably my, like I've been going rogue nobody do this. Do not talk to your doctors. Just my endo is really useless and medicated or under medicated me into a crisis a couple of months ago. Um, so I have just kind of taken things into my own hands, fully cognizant of the risk that I am imposing on myself. But um, I have figured out, I think what is a better fludro dose for me Um in that. And now it's really just like, okay, I think, I think I would like to try this dose of Dex. Um, so we'll see what happens there. It's like, it's in constant battle. So, <laughs> um, so since you figure that out about the additive and the insulin and all that, and your A1Cs, you know, doing better, how's, how's that changed your quality of life? Oh, it's so much better. Um, I mean, I'm not on a crazy roller coaster anymore. High, high to low blood sugar swings are exhausting. Um, even without cortisol issues, they are just exhausting on your body um, and on your mind. Like your mind isn't right in either in either place. Um, I'm much more pleasant to be around because high blood sugar is a terrible mood for pretty much everyone. I think I've seen so many memes that are like, if you can't handle me at my 331, you don't deserve me at my 113, um, <laughs> which is which is pretty accurate. <laughs> so there are times I just have to be like, I'm going to be a jerk right now. And I'm just going to try not to say anything at all. I'm not giving you the silent treatment, but like, um, but I haven't been over 210 in probably three months. Um, 
So I'm getting close now. So I'm going to have this insulin, um, which so everybody now gets to experience what a Freza is. Um, Jill, if you want to say something for a second. Then... Okay, so you you do your thing and uh, for sure. But no, and I think, and there's a lot of things that you said there that I, I kind of made some notes. Like you talk about, you know, and I just think it's a great example so far, your story showing, keep looking for answers. Keep fine. Your your body's giving you symptoms. There's different things going on. You know, you talked about, you know, the doctors just kept increasing your meds, increasing your meds. You can just tell by the sound in your voice that that, that wasn't acceptable. That you were like, okay, but let's let's dig a little bit deeper. And sometimes on our own, we have to dig a little bit deeper. And and then once you figure that out, it's changed your life. You know, your body's under less stress. Um, and you actually said, there's nothing wrong with my body. There's nothing wrong with your body. Your body's extremely smart and your body's yeah. doing absolutely an amazing thing. And, and with so many of these stories with people being diagnosed, like you said, like you were throwing up and all these things were going on. And even, and I'm sure when you were diagnosed as a diabetic too, like your body's compensating in amazing ways. Our bodies are absolutely incredible. And I think, you know, you can hear in the, in the sound in your voice that that's, that's what you thrive on. You know, you have, like you said, you don't let your conditions define you. You're, you're just working around them. You're just like, you know what, get out of my way. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to listen to what you need. I'm going to figure it out and I'm going forward with it. And I think that's a great example for, for everybody. So, so thank you for that. <laughs> well, thank you. And that, that actually like leads to a perfect segue, I think to about two things that I know we wanted to cover. The first is that my perspective shifted phenomenally in February of 2020 um, when I first started seeing the functional practitioner that I work with, who was first thing out the gate, reminded me that I am not lacking in anything because my entire life I'd been hypo insulin, basically, right? Like not enough insulin, not enough thyroid, then not enough cortisol. So this not enough had become very much of, of defining who I thought I was. Um, and I carried that with me for 40 years. Um, and she reminded me in one of the first probably five sentences and working together that it wasn't that I was lacking in anything or not enough in anything, but our immune systems are so strong, you guys. <laughs> that they have taken out at least one set of organs. Um, for me, it's been three, um, but our immune systems are super powered and it's not that we are lacking anything. They are just a little misguided, um, but we're not, we are not deficient even if some of these hormones are deficient. Um, and and adopting that mindset and being able to to realize that was so helpful for me. And then just in this recent journey, figuring out how to control my conditions rather than feeling like I was kind of at the whim of whatever my body decided to do that day um, really feels so much better. Um, so even in the moments where it gets frustrating and you feel like you're beating your head against the wall, know that you're getting there and that you I think that doctors kind of try to put us in these cookie cutters, like the standard starting dose or whatever it may be. They, they try to do that because it's kind of the best starting point that they have, but none of us are meant to fit in somebody else's 
cookie cutter or blueprint. We're just not. So um, you've really got to learn what happens with your body and what your signs and symptoms are or what makes it happier or what makes it unhappy um, and really lean into that for you and lead with that at your doctor's appointments as much as they may not want to hear it. And, and we are not medical professionals, but we are the most professional that we will ever meet at our own bodies. Yes. Period. Yeah. We're, we're <laughs> professionals of our own body. And I like how you said, like, you know, listen to your own symptoms and, and, you know, yeah, the doctors have a blueprint, they have a place to start. And then it's our job to write the rest of the story. Yeah. And we can write whatever story we want. Um, if we have the right mindset and we focus on the right things and pull all those resources together and um, listen to our bodies and, you know, just learn every time, like I think you said, you know, a little bit about ago about how like you get up in the morning instead of looking at, oh, this is what I got to deal with today. It's like, okay, this is what I'm dealing with today. What can I do to make it better? You right. know, and it's not going to happen overnight. You're not going to say, I'm going to shift my mindset and wake up tomorrow you know, positive, go lucky. I have chronic illnesses. Yay me. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's a learning curve. It's like anything, right? It's a learning curve, but you are a great role model to say that you can get there. You can change your mindset and, and move forward with you, with whatever you're dealing, whatever obstacles you have going on. Right. Um, so what were some, like, once you had that kind of shift, um, what kind of resources did you kind of tap into to help you along the way with that? Um, I think like finding, community online has been so instrumental because a lot, like I was saying earlier, like I didn't know anybody else with Addison's. I didn't know anybody else. I, I mean, I know a few other type ones, but I wasn't close with them and we never really talked diabetes. Um, I mean, I think every now and again, you'll, you'll see someone else in the wild and it's way more difficult to recognize with Addison's, obviously. Like if I see someone with an insulin pump or a CGM in the wild, then I'd be like, oh, hey, like me too. And we kind of geek out for a second just because it's so nice to talk to somebody else who gets it. Um, and everybody else kind of tunes us out and whatever. They're like, let them do let them do their weird thing. Um, but finding whole communities all over the world of other people who get it has been so, so helpful. Um, just in not feeling so alone in all of it. Um, so thank you, Jill, for creating this as like an extra resource for that, because then we not only get to see people typing online, but we get to see real people who are just like us in that we share a condition. Um, again, none of us are going to fit into that same cookie cutter, but there's so many shared things that it makes you feel better to not be the only one who's had a bunch of stress fractures um, or surgeries on bones in their feet or a dad who also had the same condition and passed away um, or whatever it may be, even in finding people who are also allergic to this insulin ingredient um, has been so helpful because when we first started to think, hey, this might be an allergy, but then like, is it even possible to be allergic <laughs> to the thing that my body needs to live? Um, also allergic to at least two brands of hydrocortisone. So I am a Dex only gal. <laughs> but, is, that's very common with you hear yeah. that a lot in Facebook groups. That is yeah. a thing, right? Yeah. That when you have something that you don't get to connect with people often that are kind of, you know, sharing your experiences, but to hear those words, sometimes it just lifts a weight off your shoulders. Yeah. 
And it's like, you don't ever wish that anybody else had to, to do the same things or go through the same trials, but in knowing that they have, you might as well all be able to commiserate and, or to, to build together. Um, and like you said, that has opened up conversations and with people and, you know, this is, this is our world and open up conversations with your medical communities that might eventually lead you down the road to, you know, help with your quality of life. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's well, and I think even, even just mentally, my quality of life is so improved by knowing that I'm not the only one, um, in any of these situations, but it really has been, has been helpful to, to find your podcast and another kind of diabetes focused one. So I, I laugh because that one is called the juice box podcast and you are the pickle jar. So really the pickle juice box podcast is the essence. Like if you're asking who I am, it's kind of these two things. (laughs) I like that. that. Um, But um, it's been so helpful because you get so many stories from kind of the, the very specific and directed episodes that may be about one tool or another, but really just in listening to the stories of other people um, and how they figured things out um, for me is really helpful just in knowing that there's a path and somebody else has walked it and mine might be a little bit different, but I know that, that it's possible because even before April or May, I mean, honestly, I did not think it was possible for me to have an A1C of seven before May of this year. Mm-hmm. Didn't think it was a thing. Um, and now I'm on track for my test next month. I'll be in the fives, which is a non-diabetic A1C. And, that, and that's amazing. And like you said, you have also the cortisol issues that are going to yep. work with that as well and everything else going on. So to accomplish that, like that's even a bigger accomplishment, right? Like that's just amazing. So um, I know there's something else that you wanted to talk about today. <laughs> yes. Hyper- Okay, you say it. You too. I, I I will say it. And here is here is my ask: If you've made it this far, or at least like take the glaze off your eyes and tune back in for a second. But um, Jill and I, and a few other Addisonians I have met online, have discovered that we have a much higher tolerance for potassium than the average bear, um, or the the normal numbers that we see in our labs. Um, and so I in 2017 was the first time I was hospitalized for this. Um, It was not the first time I had what started to be an episode, but it was the first time that I was hospitalized. And again, like in finding, like digging through all of this research in the last couple of months, I finally figured out that it's, it's even a condition and it's not just some weird thing that is unique to me. Um, And such relief. such a relief to know that that it's not only me and I'm not sure kind of what section of this I fit into yet but 2017 July was the first time that my legs stopped working Um, I was sitting at a meeting with a bunch of friends and went to stand up and physically it wasn't there in my legs like they they were I could feel them try to to clench to to stand up if you're like just try to make that motion you feel it happen but they didn't have enough in them for me to stand um 
So we got me to the emergency room and my potassium was in the sevens. Um, and I, aside from that, did not feel terrible. Um, my, I guess my attitude, especially when I'm in some kind of medical place or getting treatment is just to be nice and funny because probably these people get yelled at all the time. And if nothing else, like I want to be the patient, they'll be like, I'm going to go check on her because she's nice. Um, <laughs> or she makes us laugh or she's not yelling at me. Um, so I'm literally sitting in the emergency room cracking pasta puns. And they told me when they were sending me up to the ICU to admit me that they'd been waiting in the hallway with the crash cart for three hours, waiting for my heart to stop. Because apparently your heart stops somewhere between the mid fives and sixes in most situations. I also learned that night that the lethal part of lethal injection is potassium. I don't know if we talked about this, Jill. <laughs> yep. So that's that's the lethal part of lethal injection. <laughs> the other parts are, are mostly painkillers and sedatives. But <laughs> um, so, so potassium at that level can apparently cause major heart arrhythmias and eventually causes it to stop. Um, there have been times since then where I can kind of feel that that sensation starting in my legs and I can make it to the fridge and chug some pickle juice. So here's your plug. Um, <laughs> but um, and it has has gotten my legs back into a functioning state again. Um, and then in April of 21, like a week and a half after that, that moment or that day of losing consciousness over and over and over with the low cortisol, low blood sugars, um, I had this, so I was probably in crisis most of the month of April, 2021, which is a real party. Um, but I felt my legs start to go pickle juice. Wasn't saving the day. Um, then it got to the point where my forearms were paralyzed um, and it was moving into my neck and I was having trouble breathing, which probably means my diaphragm was starting to have that. Um, so thankfully was able to call my mom who lived about 20 minutes away at the time and tell her like, I need you over here. Something bad is happening potassium wise, because I know at this point it's my potassium levels. Um, and I need to call 911 because I can't make it down the stairs to the door. Um, so potassium then was 9.2. Any, any medical professional I have ever told that to, I have to then say it is not a typo. That's a real number um, because their eyebrows fly off their head. And most of them are like, I've never spoken to anybody who was at that high of a potassium level who is still alive. Um, so our bodies are amazing. Our bodies are amazing. And our bodies are astounding. <laughs> we don't want to test that as often, you know, you don't want to go down that right. road, but yeah. our bodies are amazing. And that just proves how amazing our bodies are. Yeah. Somehow, somehow it has kept me alive through these episodes. I am in zero. I have zero will to, to test it out or to see how many more lives I have. Um, I'm much more of a dog person than a cat person, but I will take it at this point. Um, but I found that there are conditions called hyperkalemic, so too much potassium, and hypokalemic, too little potassium, periodic paralysis. It is mostly a genetic condition, although it can be caused by 
outside factors. In my case, probably a massive sodium imbalance from the Addison's. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm still trying to to figure out kind of which of those categories I might fit into. Some genetic testing will help. Um, and I found a really interesting article that I forwarded to Jill over the weekend because I knew that she would geek out on it too when she, whenever she could get to it. And I was going to uh, say, you're talking about your ER visits. I'm like, I'm like, I'm going to guess she's probably like me when I've been in the ER. I'm like checking the monitors. I'm asking questions. I'm like, I want to know what's going well, on. And I also, you know, I got in the ambulance and I was like, listen, my potassium is at least in the sevens. Yeah. And they're like, what? And I'm like, no, here's what happens. Like, this is what happens. Also, it's worse than it's ever been. So if you can get something on board, even while we're driving to the hospital, that would be great. Um, <laughs> it thankfully was um, the fastest I've ever gotten in. I re- I recently figured out in talking with someone in an Addison's group, because I always kind of, I think I'd been thinking that this was kind of a pre-crisis mm-hmm. scenario. Um, but it sounds like from there's studies by some doctor whose name, I forget it starts with an H in the UK, who's done a lot of Addison's publications, Hindenmarsh, maybe. Hindenmarsh, Professor Um, So he has the chart that basically all, all crises fit under either low cortisol or low aldosterone. So at the very least, now I know that this is an aldosterone issue. Yeah. Um, and it's still technically a crisis. I was like, I don't know if I'm just on the edge of, because it presented differently than any, like there was no vomiting. So I was like, oh, well, this feels different than an Addisonian thing. Um, so I don't know if this is an Addison's thing, if this is, uh, if this is a, a hyperkalemic periodic paralysis thing. Um, I know that Jill and I have talked about sometimes, um, our hands will will cramp. So it's kind of the opposite of this where the muscles are too weak to function. But um, I know I experience it and it's, you literally have to like move your, your fingers back into yeah. place from this clenched position. And Jill's had it too. So I think we're both kind of here to ask, like, does anybody else experience this? <laughs> does any, has anybody else had this level of high potassium and or the paralysis or severe muscle weakness that happens with it. Um, I'm just trying to figure out, I know that I'm not alone in having them. I'm just kind of trying to figure out which box I fit into right. um, to figure out better how to make it more predictable because I figured out how to make cortisol more predictable, how to make thyroid more pre- predictable, how to make insulin more predictable. So I would really like to be able to predict <laughs> these matters that could be life or death much more quickly than, than any of the others really. Um, so I think that's, that's kind of the big ask. The article that I sent to Jill indicated that a man had been driven into hypokalemic. So too little potassium periodic paralysis with an emergency dexamethasone injection. Um, so, and the article talks about how steroids insulin and thyroxins, so thyroid medicines, um, all of those can suppress potassium. So it's also, I realized on Sunday, like have all of the meds for these other conditions that everybody else is like, I'm so sorry, you have to deal with that. But it's entirely possible that they've been keeping me from 
more episodes of this paralysis. Um, so it's, I mean, it's fascinating to me. Um, I'm always grateful that I can kind of step back and be like, this would be way cooler if it wasn't happening in my own body. But I mean, if it is, then I might as well figure it out. And I just, I think I'm trying to figure out if anybody else has experienced either of those things. Jill and I know we think that probably we function pretty well with potassium in the low sixes, at least. Um, and it could be that that's kind of where that hand cramping happens. Um, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't I don't know where to go from there. I just it's something that is has been really fascinating to me. Um, and maybe Jill, maybe I should try more carbs. Is that what we we've put together earlier? I think that's kind of what we put together earlier. And like, I mean, one thing that I'm trying to do is I have a standing order from my family doctor to have blood work. And one conversation I've had with him about my potassium levels is he's like, you know what you, he's like, your, your blood work recently has been fine in potassium, but we have to remember when we do blood work, that's just at that moment. Right. I think one thing with um, Addison's disease, we have to realize, I think we just fluctuate. Like you said, like just you saying like about your legs, what, what I used to take as low cortisol in the middle of the afternoon, I think it was, it was the aldosterone. It was, it was the potassium. It was the sodium, mm -hmm. everything getting off and those monk muscles losing their functioning. So if you haven't made that connection yet with how you feel, you need to stay on top of your potassium, get some blood work done, try and figure out kind of what's going on so that you can, you know, does the pickle juice ha help? Yeah. You yeah. know what? Now that, like I said, I've been, you know, talking to so many of you guys about this and you've kind of blown my mind about stuff like that. You know, I'm chugging pickle juice in the middle of the afternoon and I feel so much do, better. Do I watch feel your so labels. much better. Watch your labels because some pickle juice does have a lot of potassium in it. Okay. So okay, it can be counterproductive. Okay. Watch your pickle juice. Um, yeah. Watch your pickle juice. We want it to be <laughs> sodium heavy. <laughs> and, and same with a lot of electrolyte drinks that people mm -hmm. drink too. You have to be very cautious about that. But like you said, it's about finding that blueprint that works for us. What's yeah. going to throw your system off and being cautious about that on both sides, finding that in the middle, you don't want to throw it off the wrong way, but we don't want to go too low either. And it's just, it's just trying to figure out how to get all those to work together. Right. Yeah. And it, it's tricky. It is tricky. Yeah. I talked to my doctor recently about getting a standing order, at least for potassium labs. There's a lab about five minutes from my house now. So the using myself as a science project, part of me really wants to, the next time the hand cramping happens to have my boyfriend drive me in because I've learned better than to drive myself, even in these situations. But to get a ride there and jump in and get the potassium tested right then yeah. Yeah. because I'm so curious because normal potassium labs run in the mid fours. So totally normal. Yeah. Um, but now part of me is like, would it really naturally be running much higher if I wasn't daily taking these things that might be suppressing it? Um, <laughs> so no, exactly. No, you're right. And it's, yeah, there's so much, who knows what your body, but in the same regard, your body is amazing. Yeah. Your body probably would have figured it out just in a different way. Right. So right. your body, you know, we have to give our body that permission to write its own blueprint, mm -hmm. write its own path. And it's just going to naturally do it when we give it the tools, 
you know, and that's going to be rest. That's going to be food. That's going to be, like you said, you know, is it carbs that's going to help? You know, what does my body need to do whatever it has to do? And, and it just comes from, you know, like you said, kind of using your body safely as an experiment, an experiment and paying attention to what's going on with your body. Yeah. Um, so what else, what else do you have to share with us today? I, I, let's see, let's see what's (laughs) in our notes. (laughs) I think that's, I know, I know, I know what we have to talk about emotional stress. Oh, yes. <laughs> okay. One thing that we really wanted to point out today, and one thing we really wanted to validate for everyone today was, and you've probably heard it before on the podcast, and but emotional stress affects your cortisol levels. And it's very much, um, I think when we talked before, you like you say, you learn, yeah, try not learn, you know, that, that phrase that's used so often, you know, don't sweat the small stuff. But you know what, when we can really tap into that when you have Addison's disease, it really does make a difference. So what is your experience with life, cortisol and emotional stress and those all kind of working together? I mean, I think, I think the biggest thing that I see over and over and over in groups is people whose doctors are telling them that emotional stress doesn't count. um, And to only updose in times of a fever or a specific illness or a surgery, um, And yes, do that. But there is no doubt in my mind that emotional stress is absolutely, I mean, I think the vast majority of my, like what I deem like real Addisonian crisis, like my cortisol crises, maybe we'll call them those, um, have all come on the heels of severe emotional stress. Um, So, and it just, it's, 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 I don't know why it's so under acknowledged as a contributor to our health. Um, But as a non-medical professional, but as a professional living in a body with Addison's disease, (laughs) I will reinforce for you, like it is absolutely a cause of, of lower cortisol. Um, So I think just it's, it's important to recognize that, but then also Jill and I were talking before we started recording about how for me, at least, a sign of low cortisol is trying to talk myself out of the fact that my cortisol is low. (laughs) Maybe it's because we've been gaslit by doctors for as long as we have been, um, or it's just part of how that process works in our brains, which is not a rabbit hole I have the energy to dive into right now. (laughs) But um, I think for me, at least, when, when I am in a severely low state, I talk myself out of it. Mm-hmm. Oh, it can't be this. It's not that. Um, so it probably is. And maybe if you find yourself kind of like my low blood sugar after one or two times of, of talking myself out of, or using juice and it not working, realizing like, oh, this is a cortisol low issue. Um, maybe just keep that in the back of your minds from now on that like, Hey, if you repeatedly talk yourself out of something you're probably resisting it with as much strength as you should be taking more steroid right then no you're right and like and i think often when you know people hear the words emotional stress we think of external sources of emotional right. stress but you know there's also that internal gaslighting that we talked yeah. about too and that's you know and if you can start taking steps to you know not to emotionally stress yourself out and to love yourself 
and to take away those factors because I know personally, you know, I've gone down that road, especially this year where I didn't realize how much I was, I was hurting myself with my Addison's. Mm -hmm. I was getting myself so worked up internally. I was creating that emotional roller coaster, that emotional stress that was driving my cortisol down. And I was creating those lows myself. And once, you know, I just think it's so important if people take honestly anything away from what you've shared with us, one of them I want them to be is, you know, you are enough and you need to take control of your mental health. Yeah. And that's going to be, that is going to change your world right there. And like I said earlier, it's not going to happen overnight. You're not going to learn how to control those emotions, um, but learning how to deal with the external factors, the internal factors um, are going to give you the strength and you can use your cortisol now to do your weekly blood work, to do all these other mm-hmm. things that you want to do um, and to live your life. And, and that's definitely something that that's, that's possible. And you've showed us that. Well, thanks. I think, I mean, I think the, the biggest thing is, is really my brain has lost one of the things I was going to talk about, but the other is um, in order to maybe help improve how much you might be talking down on yourself or might be reinforcing that not enough, not enough, not enough is do the things that you need to have energy for in the moments when you have energy, whether you're taking hydrocortisone tablets and that's like an hour after you take your afternoon dose, you have that burst of energy, then schedule the things that you need to be able to be sure to get done, do it then. Or make your day as much as you can so that you can move blocks of things around into the moments where it matches what your energy level is. Um, and, And being able to not beat up on yourself about being so unproductive, or I didn't get this and this and this and this and this done, Um, that's so helpful too, just in maintaining that the other, I just remembered, yay, um, is that emotional stress as frustrating as this is to say is a double-edged sword and that excitement is also stress on our bodies. So I know that my mom texted me right before this and she's like, are you nervous? Are you excited? And I was like, yes, but it feels the exact same way to our bodies. So I just tell myself I'm excited, but you can be battling something deeply troubling emotionally or be really excited about something or another. And they both train our cortisol. Yeah. Um, there, there are some conditions of this disease that are so frustrating. Um, and that has got to be one of them. The other for me is that fasting creates a cortisol drain. Yes. And when we have lower cortisol, we don't want to eat. Um, <laughs> so I don't know why it works that way when our bodies are so amazing at like balancing each other out normally. But um, just remember that that you're not crazy if you've been really excited and or happy about something and you feel like a puddle. Um, your body just doesn't have the equipment to be able to adjust for that. Um, But the nice thing is, is knowing that you also then get to take control of it and not feel like a puddle for hours or days or weeks. Um, You can address it and feeling like you have control over it is so much better than than just feeling like you're being blown about at somebody else's desire. (laughs) No, you're right. Like making that that decision of saying, like you said, like, 
you know, well, what energy do I have right now? So what out of all the things I need to do, what can I do out of those? Let's start taking those off the list. And it's, and it's okay to do it that way. Nobody's going to know you rerouted your day based on how you feel. They just see you still going. And then it is okay to ask for help too. Oh yeah. (laughs) You know, it's okay to ask for help for these, you know, you know, these things that to, you know, perhaps people not living in our worlds just seem insignificant to them that they're helping us with can really change our day and make us feel empowered and make us feel, you know, like we can get more accomplished. And when we can do that, it, it's, it affects, it conserves our cortisol levels. It improves our quality of life. There's so many things, but we, we need to take that personal responsibility to do those things because they're not living in our world they have no idea what it's like. And that's okay. They can't, they don't know what it's like to, to live like this. So well, and there's really no way to accurately convey it. No, there's no, like you said, at the start, like when people say, well, you're tired, have a nap. Well, yeah, I use the word I'm tired, but I'm not tired. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's a, it's a different tired. I, so I call it soul level exhausted. <laughs> like it is literally to the core of my very being. Yeah. I usually call it like the death coma. I think that's what we yeah. kind of refer to here. Like mom kind of goes into that. Coming um, from a, a diabetic background, I avoid using coma just because I'm like, I'm not even speaking that into my yes, existence. Yes, like, you're no, not, we don't talk about comas. <laughs> so yes, no, I, I, yes, I, I understand that completely. So, um, all right. So you've given us so many amazing things for our guests to take away from. And I hope that, you know, even if, you know, just take one, two, a couple things, anything that speaks to you in your journey that you can take away from today. You know, if it, you know, Sarah's been a great role model. She's taught us so many things about, you know, about mindset, listening to your body. Um, I'm just kind of maneuvering around with whatever you're doing, you're dealing with. I'm trying to make, have a quick look at the notes that I've made while we were talking to make sure that um, I mentioned everything at the end. Um, you know, you know, things like the, you know, at the very start, we talked about, you know, get that blood glucose monitor. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe that's what you do. Um, you know, build your community, find your community, start those conversations and just start moving forward. Cause Sarah's shown us when you keep taking those, you know, maybe those steps seem little at first, um, but they add up. And before you know it, you're running. And before you know it, you have an A1C score that you're very proud of that's, you know, changing your existence and make you, you know, that path that you're on even brighter. And that's really what this is all about because our bodies are amazing. Our bodies are incredible and they can do the job if we work with them. Um, and we're, we're in this with our body and, and I just can't say it enough. Like our bodies. Yes. Like you said, our bodies are amazing. (laughs) They, They can do it. We can survive high potassium people come on this podcast and the things that they have, you know, Sarah and I didn't go into major crisis when we were diagnosed, but so many people have. It's just, we have to remember that's not a proof of how sick we are. It's a proof of how amazing we are. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Sarah, again, for sharing with us your story. Um, and I always give my guests at the end an opportunity to make sure that I didn't leave anything out. Is there anything else that you want to add or anything you want to say before we we wrap up? I think um, really just thank you for this this resource and this community that you've built and that you're putting out there because it's so much easier to feel connected to other people that understand what we live with um, than sometimes trying to explain it from 
from square one to somebody else. Um, But it just, it makes it so much better to have that community. And it has been really instrumental. We didn't really touch on this at all, but um, I mean, it's probably um, fairly evident, but I have all the exact, I, I, if there is a cookie cutter, it's me of my dad, like the same, the same autoimmune conditions. He died of a massive heart attack right before he turned 51. And until April of this year, I felt pretty sure that I was, I was, I mean, I was literally counting down my days, weeks, months until that birthday or that time frame for me. I just figured it was the same fate um, because I was having so much trouble controlling any of my conditions. I figured that that was the thing. And in figuring a lot of this out and in finding community, it has given me so much hope. I think my doctors had all kind of given up on me. Um, and I had given up on myself and now it's like, well, I don't really care what you people think, um, but here is what I can do. Um, and taking back that onto myself and not feeling like I have to wait for a doctor to do the right thing or figure something out, but really owning that for myself and figuring out what works for me has been such a beacon of hope. Um, and I am now looking far beyond that, which is pretty exciting for the first time in my life. Um, and knowing that I'm not just going to be kind of clawing my way to that point and then dying tragically, um, but that I get to live through then and beyond then because I'm figuring this out. And I think that figuring out the, the physical parts of things have been just as important as finding this community and having that support in just being a human wise. So thank you for that, that venue for all of us. I really appreciate you. Oh, well, thank you. And same to you, Sarah. And same thing. We all need mental resets. And I can tell you, like in the last few weeks, I've had another mental reset, you know, meeting you and, and all these things. And it's the same thing. And it's like, yay, I'm so excited about life. Oh no, it's going to drive my cortisol down. (laughs) Get ready for it. It's you coming, just do right? a little so, bolus from your pump right after we're off, Jill. Right? It's going to be fine. <laughs> but, but like I said, it's a learning curve. I know it's coming now. We can prepare for it. And that's what and that's what this is all about coming together. We're all going to have all these little tools. And I remember the first time we, we talked about, you know, managing ourselves and managing our lives. Like you say, you know, in the course of a day, you know, how many decisions do we all instinctively make? you know, I think you use the number like 6,000, like, you know, I've made 6,000 decisions today, micromanaging my illness. And if you're at the start of this journey, it is possible you are going to start making those decisions without even, they're going to become automated. And you're just going to become this little computer system inside where you can, oh, I need some pickle juice, you're going to grab this, you're going to grab that. And you are going to be able to get through your day and get to tomorrow and have a very full um, a meaningful life. So it, it is, it's out there and it's, it's, it's a, it's a one, it is a wonderful journey. It, it really is. We can learn a lot about ourselves if, if we, um, let the experience happen and, and listen um, to ourselves and listen to ourselves. Right. So, so thank you so much again, Sarah, for joining us and coming into my world. Oh, well, thanks. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, thank you again for listening to my episode with Sarah. And if you're interested in being a guest in the pickle jar, I would love to have you. You can go to my website, chronicallyfitcanada.com. And until next time, please be well, my pickles.